wonderful sounds of children on this precious night. I want to begin by, uh, I assume, is this being broadcast? I want to say, we miss you, Mr. Bob Kapowitz, but we're very thankful to hear that your x-rays went well, and we've all been living with our heart palpitating over Bob having gotten COVID, and he's a precious treasure to this church. And we have a lot of people that are either in quarantine or have COVID tonight who are participating. We're sorry you're not with us, and I want to give a special uh, um, what would I say? I want to give a special greeting and love uh, to Todd. Todd has been a friend of this church whom you have never, well, some of you have met him once. He's been here for a conference, but uh, like many, Todd is now in his declining years and he's alone. And it's very hard for widows and single people to come to the holiday seasons and to be alone. And what we have to remember is that as Mary and Joseph and Jesus are our family, so everyone who receives him is family. And so there is no widow, there is no bachelor, uh, there is no, no person alone tonight, because all of us are bound into the family of Jesus Christ. And so we can wish each other a Merry Christmas. And we can know that we belong, not because we're blood-related, but because we're related through the waters of cleansing the baptism of our Lord and his Spirit. So, Todd, God bless you. Todd had uh, COVID recently and was in the hospital for a week and wrote and said that he wanted to die. And I wrote him back and said, I'm so thankful he didn't, but I wish he had called me <laughs> so that I could have tried to encourage him. So whoever you know, that you know tonight is a sad night for them and tomorrow, would you call them and would you love them and tell them of the love of Jesus? Let's pray. Our Father, we pray tonight that as we once more go over this uh, well-worn path of Luke 2, that it will open up to us truths that will comfort us, that will comfort the motherless, the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, the bachelor, that it will comfort the sinner. And since we're all sinners, Father, comfort every one of us, man, woman, and child. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as it is given to us in the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 to 20. This being God's word is eternally true. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. 
Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Now, many have remarked on the insignificance of Caesar Augustus in this account of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Think about what I just said, the insignificance of Caesar Augustus. We read that a decree went out from him. He was going to take a census. It was going to be a census of the whole earth the whole inhabited earth. And this really was largely the extent of the Roman Empire at that time. And he was the supreme ruler of the Roman Empire. And if you had talked to him at the time, all he would have known is that he had declared a census. And yes, of course, all the civilians, all the citizens, all, all the parts of his empire had submitted to his decree, to his command, and they had gone to be counted, and also to be taxed. You know that the Bible tells us that kings are pawns on God's chessboard. And no one was more a pawn in the hands of God than Caesar Augustus. You know that he is only known in Scripture as the instrument God used to bring Joseph and his fiancée Mary to the proper place which had been predicted that the birth of the anointed one of the Messiah would, 
would happen. And so the word of God leaves Caesar behind. You've heard everything you're going to hear about him. He's over. He has a cameo appearance, right? And now we begin the account of the real Lord of the universe, the real King of Kings, the real Lord of Lords, who is the baby Jesus. As one of Caesar's subjects, Joseph obeyed his civil authority and traveled to his hometown, Bethlehem. He went there, it says, in order to register with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. I found myself the last few weeks trying to think what on earth was going on with Mary? What on earth was going on with Joseph? And for heaven's sakes, what, what on earth was going on with Mary's parents? It just seems so... I mean, she didn't have a midwife. She didn't have an ob guide, She didn't even have a doula. Joseph was all of them. How did this happen? I can't for the life of me figure it out. They had traveled a long way from Nazareth to Galilee to Bethlehem. It was about 90 miles, and so everybody agrees it was about a week's journey, but Mary and her condition, if anything, would have slowed them down. So they've been traveling a long time. As they traveled along the dusty roads, remember how everybody got their feet washed when they arrived anywhere, dirty roads, dusty roads, as they traveled along the dusty roads, anyone noticing Mary didn't have to ask if she was pregnant. It was clear she was full term as she traveled. She was ready to go into labor and thus great with child. And you know how often Braxton Hicks lets you know, you know, you have a false labor, and so you think you're about to have... I'm sure that along the path as they traveled, being jolted up and down and up and down, I'm sure she knew that she was right there at the edge. In fact, I'll bet she was, she was just hoping they would make it to Bethlehem. Finally, their journey was over, and the three of them, Joseph, Mary, the three of them, the three of them, Joseph, Mary, and who? Well, little Jesus still nestled in his mother's womb. The three of them arrived in Bethlehem. It was a relief to get there. The traveling was over, and they were, ter- they were very, very tired. Sadly, though, they had no place to stay. I found myself thinking about IU graduation and football games. <laughs> you know, when the cost of That place, the Fairfield Inn, one room and that fleet, <clears throat> well, I won't say it. <laughs> I've stayed there many times, but it's not exactly the cat's meow. And one room on those weekends there is five, $600 a night. And so you think about Bethlehem being a tiny little town. It only had one inn. The inn was full. And whatever, we don't know why it was that they didn't get a room in the inn, right? You would think that the innkeeper would give it to a woman that was about to give birth, right? Uh, We don't know whether um, they were of a certain status that nobody would prefer them in their inn. 
We don't know whether it was just simply a question of money. We don't know. They might have gotten there late, right? Some of us know what it is to be late. Whatever reason, they did not get into the inn. And so we have no record also that there was anyone else there to help Mary as she went into labor. And I have to say that this, le- this is one of a number of things that lead me to think very highly of Joseph. Um, he hardly shows up in the story except in simple manly ways that he helps Mary in her hour of maternal need, all right? We also see him protecting Jesus, that he's to take Jesus and Mary down to Egypt. Remember that when when the slaughter of the innocents is about to happen. So this is Joseph. Remember, he's going to put her away quietly. Every appearance of Joseph is an antidote to the effeminacy of masculinity in the Western world. And and in fact, you might even say that the greatest antidote is he shuts his mouth. Wouldn't it be nice if men today would just simply be quiet? Remember the, the old days when a man was quiet, but those days are gone. Joseph is quiet, and we read in verse 6, while they were there, the days were completed for her, Mary, to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, earlier when I read it, I said her firstborn. It doesn't say son, but it does say firstborn. And we need to recognize that when it says it's her firstborn, it implies that she had a secondborn. Maybe not, you know, doctors sometimes, you know, have a way of making it clear that this is the most difficult birth because this is your first, right? Anyhow, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that she was without sin and that she never had any other children. But they don't say that on the basis of Scripture. In fact, in the Gospels, there are places where the Bible tells us that Jesus had brothers, and it tells us that the brothers came to see him, all right? Now, it is true that back then the word brothers could be used to refer to other relatives than brothers, but the most natural reading is brothers means brothers. And here we read that this is her firstborn. And we don't ever read anything said in Scripture that there was anyone other than Jesus that escaped original sin in the fall. And so Mary was a sinner. Mary was a sinner. We don't need sinless people. Because a sinless person obviates the need for the joy of this night. Why? Jesus himself said, I didn't come for the righteous. So if Mary was sinless, Jesus was saying, I didn't come for Mary. (laughs) You know, it's just crazy. Let's keep ourselves simply to what Scripture says. And here it says that she gave birth to her firstborn son, verse 7. Now, we also read that Mary, quote, gave birth to him, unquote. Now, if you're a woman who has become a mother, there must be a little bit of humor in that. She gave birth. It must be written by a man. She gave birth, you know. Well, how long was her labor? How hard was it? Aren't we going to get the birth story? 
You know, and Mary, when he gets done with the latest doula, I just say, please don't give me the birth story. <laughs> That's one of the glories of manhood that I don't have to go through it, you know. We read, Mary, quote, gave birth to him. There's no account of the onset or the duration of Mary's agony. There's no account that she, being sinless, escaped God's curse of all womanhood after the fall, that her pains of childbirth would be multiplied. No, it was a normal birth with the normal suffering and the husband's normal fear and grief over his loved one's agony. We assume that it was Joseph himself who was Mary's midwife. We assume he saw to Mary's every need and doted over both her and her newborn as she started nursing him, who is her Lord. We assume there were friendly creatures looking on with creaturely incomprehension, since they were in a stable. And because they were in a stable, Jesus laid Jesus in a manger. Mary laid Jesus in a manger for his first sleep. Outside, outside the womb, that is. And we assume all these things, but they are simply assumptions because God did not choose to tell us any birth story other than this, verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Next we read, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. She wrapped him. Well, this indicates Mary was strong enough, and you don't take this for granted, Mary was strong enough after going through her labor and delivery to care for her little one right away. Very sweet. It was she who clothed him. It was not Joseph. It was she who found him a bed, laying him in a manger. It was not Joseph. The manger is an unusual first bed for a newborn. Normally, there is something of a cradle which the woman has ready. She has been anticipating her day of delivery, but their week of travel prior to her labor prohibited any cradle accompanying them. And there was no room for them in the inn where there might have been a makeshift cradle. And so Mary used what was at hand, which was a manger. Now, for you little ones, a manger is just a little feeding trough for the friendly beasts who eat their meals of hay from it. Thinking about this the last couple of weeks, um, you know, I've been thinking about how psycho Christian women are today about food and germs. And I don't know, I've tried to think of a point to make about this but I can't think of a point to make about this other than just making the point, you know? Would you mothers please not think that the life and death and health of your children depends on you? It doesn't. You're going to do about as many good and bad things for your children as every mother before you has done. You know, one of the wonderful things about my mother was that despite having lost her children and then being left with a child with cystic fibrosis growing up and another child with hemophilia, 
There was no concession made to their vulnerability. None. They lived, and eventually they died, and they died precisely when God determined they would. And that's what we rest in. We rest in that. I mean, my goodness, if we rested on uh, science today, I mean, really, okay. So, you know, I'm not telling you that you should go out and feed your newborn baby in a trough. Lay them in a trough. I'm not telling you to find the nearest manure and hang out there, although it might keep you from having asthma, actually. <laughs> <You know. laughs> but this was not bad for Jesus to be vulnerable at his birth, because if you think about it, is there anything in Jesus' life that was not vulnerable? I mean, what is it for God to become man? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's unbelievable that God, from love for us, and you know what you are, and if you don't know what you are, you do know what I am. And think of God loving us and sending his son to the vulnerability, starting in the womb. Well, there in the manger, Mary laid her firstborn baby who was being watched over by his father. There in the manger, Mary laid her Lord and Savior. In the manger, she laid our Lord and our Savior. We leave the friendly beast sharing their cave or lean-to with Joseph and Mary and little baby Jesus asleep in their manger, and we travel across the fields to shepherds also sheltering outside because of their work protecting their flocks of sheep. Those shepherds are introduced to the account abruptly. Scripture simply says, verse 8, in the same region there were some shepherds. And I like that phrase, some shepherds. We know that there were lots of shepherds out in the fields, guarding their flocks at night. But here Luke records for us what happened to some shepherds. Personally, I like to picture it being truckers. I've always tried to figure out who would be the parallel to shepherds in our day. I think it is truckers. I like to picture it being some truckers sleeping in their cabs, watching over their rig and load, maybe at the Wolcott rest area on I-65 just north of Lafayette. They're men away from the warmth of their home and family. They're outside at night guarding what has been entrusted to them by their boss. Like Joseph, these shepherds were men but not men who were playing video games and drinking beer, but they were men who were doing what needed to be done. Verse 8, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then, something better than video games or beer or football happened. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. 
First, note the word suddenly. You betcha, buddy. It was some kind of sudden, wasn't it? An angel of the Lord is there standing in front of them. No warning. The glory of the Lord God shines around them. No warning. And so, of course, they were terribly frightened. They were scared out of their minds. They were terror-stricken. Any angel of the Lord reduces sinful man to throwing himself on the ground, expecting to be struck dead immediately. We see this all through Scripture. And he's not expecting to be struck dead by any gun or lightsaber, but by the living God's presence and his glory, reflected in his mighty angel, by his holiness, reflected by his mighty men, who exist to do only his perfect will. This is the normal, right, and proper response of man to one who has been sent from the presence of God to be terror-stricken. And so this is the reason that the next statement begins with the word, but... Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. What kindness of God through his holy angel, that he immediately stoops to the shepherd's weakness, and he calms their fears. What kindness God shows those whom he blesses with his favor that scripture never stops recording his command to his people. Do not be afraid. It's interesting that we are commanded to fear God and those who are obedient and do so are then commanded what? Do not be afraid. Just so here, it was good and right for the shepherds to quake and tremble in the presence of God's holy angel with the glory of God shining down on them. After all, they were sinful men, deserving only the wrath of God, which he reveals against all ungodliness and all the ungodly. Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, all of them feared God as they ought, And God responded by telling each of them, do not be afraid. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and said to them, do not be afraid. But then he went on to give them a reason to leave their fear behind. He continues saying, for behold. Well, I mean, you know, this is one of those places where scripture is so pretty 
coming to us from Elizabethan English, you know. You know, behold. What on earth? Behold? Well, that's just simply saying, take a look. You're not going to believe it. Well, behold what? Well, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And you know, in the King James, it's I bring you good tidings. You know, well, okay, good news. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Good news of what? Good news of great joy. And what is the extent of that joy? Is it just for us, the shepherds likely ask? No, this good news of great joy will be for all the people. Seriously, everyone? But you know, even if they thought it, I don't think the shepherds said that. I don't think that they were saying anything at all right then. They were dumbstruck, and they just listened. Now, I want to stop here and say this to us all. Generally, you and I, men and their wives, are only interested in and only listen to bad news. We give it our full attention. We don't believe in good news. In fact, we think that only stupid people expect good things to happen. And that's why they play the lottery. Come on, people, laugh. They can't help being hopeful. But you and I, we know better, don't we? It's simpletons who see rainbows in every cloud. But we, the world-weary ones, we give our attention and listen to those who podcast and write and talk about how evil our civil and health authorities are. We love bad news. We love those who trash medical authorities for their greed and cowardice and stupidity. In fact, it's almost a definition of a Christian that he believes and loves bad news as long as it's bad news about others and not about himself. We particularly love listening to bad news about those in authority over us. See, we told you so. And like truckers, (laughs) if any of you like I have, have worked pumping diesel fuel at a truck stop, Like truckers, surely shepherds weren't known for their positive view of the world. Eh, Jeff? (laughs) It's funny. And their positive view of their bosses, the company they drive for, unless, of course, you own the company. And their positive view of sheep and their wives, and their children, and, of course, Caesar Augustus up there in Rome oppressing them. You all with me? And so why did the shepherds give up their cynicism and listen to the angel? Uh, I'm not absolutely certain, but I think it may have something to do with the fact he stood there before him, the angel of the Lord, and that they were bathed in the brilliance of the glory of the Lord. 
that had split apart the darkness of their night, and just a microsecond ago, they were all melting into the ground with terror. It softened them up. That might be why they listened, even though it was good news that they were about to hear. They found themselves ready for it, and they listened. So now here it is, this good news, which is for all the people. Verse 11, for today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, isn't that something? Can you imagine how easy it would be had we been there to take umbrage at that statement? to be irritated and to feel superior to it. What are you talking to me about a savior for? I don't need no savior. I'm beyond that. So here the angel of the Lord is saying that they, they, these sinful, hardworking men who cared for animals, are being told that God has sent them a Savior. This is the good news, which is for all the people. There has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, they were Jews, and so they knew what was being said here. And they probably knew it better than most of us know it, because we all know what Savior means. Somebody's going to save us, right? It's not real complicated. But then tagged on to it is, who is Christ, the Lord. Well, the word Christ is the anointed one. That's the meaning of the word Christ. What they knew was that they were being told that the Messiah, who had been prophesied by all the prophets across the Old Testament, had just been born. So this is like them being said to you, listen, there's great news it's for all the people. Unto you has been born this day, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Okay? They were out in the field surrounding this city of David called Bethlehem. And so they knew that the baby was nearby. And this baby, they have been told, has been born for them. And I imagine... Standing there, hearing these things being said to them, they had thoughts going through their brain like, you know, a baby. What do we have to do with this baby? I mean, generally, men that have to do with a baby know they have to do with a baby. They were minding their own business out in the field. And now, all of a sudden, they're supposed to pay attention to a baby. What do we have to do with this baby? Somebody else's baby, isn't he? I think that as they stood there, they thought, could this be true? I mean, really true. There have been a lot of false messiahs. But the false messiahs had never come announced by an angel with the glory of God. I'm going to guess that they stood there caught between cynicism, hope, and doubt. Then God lowered himself to their weakness once again. 
because the account continues, verse 12, this will be a sign for you. God is so kind, giving us signs. I say again, the sacraments are God lowering himself to us and giving us physical signs. And he says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Well, that's weird. I mean, we know mangers, don't we? But what mother on earth would give birth in a sheep shed and then lay her newborn there in a manger? And yet, there is the fact that this is an angel telling us. And we are standing illuminated by God's glory shed abroad from the heavens. There is that, isn't there? This is not a normal night, is it? Maybe it's true. And then we have the sweetness of the Lord of the universe lowering himself to their weakness even yet again. Because in verse 13 we read, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So whatever hesitance there was in these men, whatever cynicism, whatever doubt, whatever world-weary knowing better, I mean, they were men who had long ago given up hoping about what was going to be hopeful the next day, right? But whatever those men were like, they were normal, sinful, working men. And these lowerings of God, giving them signs, telling them this, that, and the other thing, finally, the multitude of the heavenly hosts, can you imagine what that would have been like? You know, I told you last Sunday about watching that uh, flash chorus and band of the Air Force. Imagine a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. (laughs) I was watching who lifted their hands and who didn't when our leader lifted his hands during the service. That's my favorite pastime. And I sat there thinking to myself, you know, can you imagine... Do you think that if a multitude of the heavenly hosts appeared praising God and saying glory to God, do you think maybe you could find it within yourself to lift your hands? And I'm absolutely certain that everybody in this room would lift their hands if they had been there that night. Oh, what a what a night. What a night. Finally, these shepherds get their legs back and their feet back and their minds back and their mouths back. And believing, all right, believing, don't forget the believing, what do they do? Well, they go to see it from themselves. And we read, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying, you know, began saying. I like that, you know. Then they finally, well, you know, what do you say? Hey, John, John, what do you think? I don't know. What do you think, Dave? Hey, Gordon, did you see what I saw? Yep. It's mind-boggling. Yep. What do you think? I don't know. What, what do you think? 
And so they began saying to one another, I like that, began. Whoa, you know, I think maybe, you know, I I don't know, what do you think? Maybe what? Well, I think, you know, I mean, you know, that's really something. (laughs) You're telling me, wait until I tell it to the wife. You know, maybe, maybe what? Well, you know, they began saying to each other, let's, let's go straight to Bethlehem. Seriously. Yeah, let's do it. They began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, that's a confession of faith. That's a confession of faith. The Lord has made known to us. You don't think sitting here tonight that the Lord has made known the birth of his son to you. You think I've told you, the Bible's told you, Luke's told you. No, no, no. You're here tonight because God put you here and God intended you to know about the birth of his son. There's nobody here that God has not placed here to hear this good news. It's as true today as it was that night out in the fields. And it was good news for them, but it's good news for all the people. And so the shepherds, being as direct in their curiosity and desire to have confirmed to them the word of God that had been told them as they were in protecting their sheep, direct men. And so what did they do? Let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known. And so they came in a hurry. And they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Now, we don't know anything about what went down there. You know, we don't know whether they sang, they prayed. We don't know what Joseph told him about the labor. I'm sure there was a discussion of how the labor was. There's not one man that won't ask another man how the labor was. Did you women know that? Oh, yeah, buddy. We hate it, and so we want to know all about it because we love our women. They probably talked about the labor. They probably talked about the trip, but we know that they looked at that baby And they knew that God had told them that this baby was their Messiah. And it doesn't tell us that they stayed long at all. It just says when they had seen, so they saw, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And so they tell Joseph their story, and Joseph tells them his story. They share stories. Imagine how it strengthens Joseph. Mary Lee has been having me read a little account of Joseph's perspective on it, which the Bible chooses not to give to us. And the whole thing revolves around Joseph being alone with Mary in that stable and him trying to figure out how this is God's son, this is the Messiah, but there's nothing happening, you know? And then all of a sudden, imagine how his faith was strengthened. Shepherds come in and 
angel appeared to us. The glory of the Lord shone round about us, and we were sore afraid. Well, you know, shepherds don't come into a, a stable and say stuff like that, you know. I mean, you know, they were probably chewing their tobacco normally, you know, and, but all of a sudden they're talking, right? And then he, they tell him about the heavenly hosts and the, and, and, and the glorious chorus uh, of glory to God in the highest. And so they told Joseph about this. There's some indication there might have been other people there because it says, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them. So probably as they came into the manger, they came into town, they probably talked to people on the streets, they probably saw relatives and friends. Why aren't you out with the sheep? Well, you won't believe what happened, right? And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. And then another but, verse 19, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then the final verse, the shepherds went back. That was my dad's favorite verse of the whole account of the nativity. He loved to say, isn't that excellent that the men went back to their work? They didn't try to build a tent on top of the mountain. They didn't blather to everybody in the town. But they went quickly to see, and then they went back to protect their flock. That's so sweet. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Now, let me end with a plea to you. Um, you know, we all, you know, everybody here tonight, probably 95% of us claim to be Christians, right? But I want you to think about whether or not you believe in Jesus. And you say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And I say, yeah, so do the demons, and they tremble. I wonder how many of us could honestly say that we live in the light of the good news, that we have a Savior. I was thinking about this on the way over, and I was thinking about the fact that it really is very difficult for us uh, to accept anything from anybody else. We really don't want to be beholden. About my best friend is Max Carell. You all know that. <laughs> you know, there's one or two competitors. And you know, Max doesn't like to get gifts. Now, of course, he acts delighted. We all act delighted, right? And at Christmas, there is a certain rule that you are sort of thankful and even if it's something you already have you hide the fact and you know in other words it's civilized to act like you are thankful for gifts you know and so we're all thankful for gifts but do you really like to get a gift no you really don't and the reason is that a gift reduces you to need. And you say, well, what need if it's like shortbread? And I say, well, not eating. 
it reduces you to emotionally needing the love and affection and encouragement that comes from other people thinking of you. Do you see, that's the thing that really irritates us. We don't want to need anything from other people. And you say, well, yeah, but I know I need things from God. And I say, do you really, do you really know what you need from God? Do you really know? Because I've been listening closely to many of you the last two years since COVID. And it's evident to me that what the church in America really thinks it needs is to be done with the idiots who are over us. <laughs> I mean, we, we talk about it incessantly. And I think that the reason we talk about it incessantly is that we're so convinced that we ourselves are the people qualified to make the judgments, to make the rules, and to lead and to exercise authority. And I say, what on earth do you need a savior for then? You're your own savior. And you say, well, that's medicine, you know? I say, oh, okay. So in other words, you, you live this compartmentalized life, right? Where you know that you're superior to everybody with medicine. Oh, not everybody. There are a lot of people that agree with me. Okay. But anyhow, you don't have needs there because you've got your own brain. It's smart. You know who the experts are. And you know which authorities are stupid and conniving. And I'm telling you, I hear this constantly. Okay? Constantly. And I say, how can God's people be so certain they have no needs when it comes to authority? And yet, be so responsive to the authority of God. And you say, well, that's because the authority of God comes to me directly and doesn't get mediated by any idiot. <laughs> and I say, okay, if you were in Bethlehem that night, what would you have thought of a little baby? Would you have somehow been able to see that he was the king of kings and the lord of lords? That he was the creator of the universe? We're so confident that at the right time, we'll make the right decisions. And meanwhile, we're just head over heels making all the wrong ones. <laughs> you know? We're so complacent and so secure in our own judgments and so... so so inoculated against vaccinations, you know, and so, so self-sufficient. And so the title of this sermon is, There Has Been Born for You a Savior. And I want you all to think, do you need a Savior? Are you miserable are you dead in your trespasses and sins? Not are your parents stupid. Of course they're stupid. I had parents too. And I was a parent. I was stupid when I was a parent. It was apparent I was stupid. Listen. Don't think you can cultivate superiority and condescension and rebellion. 
and receive the good news of Jesus. You can't. You can't. We are to cultivate humility. We are to embrace our brokenness. Not for the sake of parading it as one more victim on social media, but for the sake of embracing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who will heal every disease, who will forgive every one of our infinite sins, and who will do it because his Father sent him to do it. And there's not one part of your weakness that he doesn't know because he even went into the womb. He knows what it's like to be a man. You don't have to impress God. Or maybe the way way I should say it is the way you impress God is you come hastily to see if it's true. And so I want to... I want to command you in the name of Jesus tonight to come to Jesus. Imagine if you had been one of the shepherds who was so proud that he stayed back. Don't worry about it all. I'll take care of the sheep. Don't do that. Go, Gaga. Go and run to Jesus. Give him your heart. Give him your sin. That's why he came. And then don't try, to, don't try to show others how superior you are to them and to everybody else. Just be quiet like the shepherds and Joseph. Just be quiet and love Jesus. Love Jesus. Okay. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.